Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. This is Pint Glass Football. Drink beer, talk football. If you're new to the show, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, and follow on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at PGF Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and McKenzie Brewing is the official beer of Pint Glass Football. Follow them at McKenzie Brewing and McKenzieBrewing.com to check out their lineup of award-winning craft beers. Our NFL team preview episodes continue because I want to get you guys ready for the upcoming season. I have a bunch of great guests coming up these next several weeks. All these guests cover different NFL teams, so we're going to try to preview as many teams as possible. And on today's episode, we're going to talk Denver Broncos football. I had an opportunity to sit down and interview Joe Rowles, who covers them, and I think it made for a great in-depth interview breaking down the Broncos offseason and looking ahead to this fall. I'm always looking for ways to make you, the listener, a more informed football fan with in-depth coverage of all things NFL and college football, and I think these guests throughout the summer are going to do just that, so I hope you enjoy. Excited to be joined by Joe Rowles, who covers the Denver Broncos for SB Nation's MileHighReport.com and the co-host of the Cover 2 Broncos podcast. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at JoeRow underscore NFL, and be sure to check out his position breakdowns on MileHighReport.com. He's got some great stuff on there. Joe, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Joe, so I'm excited to talk Broncos here. This is a team that's definitely interesting. A lot of things that you can point to that are exciting and some question marks as well. And we're going to try to get to all those here. And with the Broncos, they have two elite pass rushers and Von Miller and Bradley Chubb, household names that we know. But they haven't played a full season together since 2018. But both are back and healthy coming into this season. So what can Denver fans expect from this duo? Well, I mean, that's kind of the big question because Von Miller's health is such a such an unknown at this point. He hasn't played since 2019, but in 2019, he had more than double the pressures of any other player on the Broncos roster. So I expect them to be very, very good, but time will tell. Yeah, no, certainly. And they're both such good players in their own right. And if the Broncos could get a healthy season out of them together, which I think it could just go a really long ways for that defense and that pass rush, especially. But I want to shift here to the offense and Melvin Gordon returns this season, but he'll be joined by second round draft pick Javante Williams and free agent signing Mike Boone. Talk about this running back group for the Broncos this year. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because Melvin Gordon, I would assume, is going to be the starter and probably log most of the third down touches just because I believe the coaching staff will probably defer to him in pass protection. But at the same time, Javante Williams is very explosive and he's very, very good on gap concepts. And the Broncos running game over the course of last season, they began to start to implement more and more of those basically from Miami on that became the bread and butter of their offense. And that's that's what he's best at. So I expect him to really carve out a very significant role. I just think when it comes to passing downs, it'll probably be Gordon. And I think Boone will probably pick up just like kind of nibbles here and there. Um, but I know when I've watched him, he's he's quite good on outside zone. And the Broncos don't really have that was Philip Lindsay last year. So I think Mike Boone is gonna step in and take some of those carries, but it'll probably be mostly Melvin Gordon, Javante Williams. 
So it sounds like we could be seeing a little bit of a running back by committee, though. Yeah, I, I know for a fact that Williams will definitely see the field quite a bit. And the way the coaching staff and the front offices talked about Boone, I would think think that he's going to see some carries but I think as Williams role grows he might kind of be on the back burner but the other thing to kind of keep in mind too is Melvin Gordon hasn't been hasn't played full season very often whether it be injury last year he missed a game because the Broncos were being preca- uh, taking precautions because he has sore throat and then two years ago he held out but I want to say he's only played a full season once before and injuries were a factor in that as well so I do think that the the other two backs will definitely get their carries Yeah, I think it could be a a really good group because I'm pretty high on Javante Williams as well. I don't know a whole lot about Mike Boone yet, but I've been hearing some good things as far as reports about him as well. So I think it could be a really deep running back room, it sounds like, for the Broncos. Time to jump in here to the meat and potatoes. The quarterback situation in, in Denver, it's interesting to say the least here, Joe. In 2019, second round pick, Drew Locke, he returns. But the Broncos have signed Teddy Bridgewater to compete for the starting job. The old saying is, if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have a quarterback. So what do you make of the quarterback position for the Broncos in 2021? It's going to be interesting because if it's an open competition, I expect Teddy Bridgewater to run away with it just because last year he played for a team that probably would have been one of the favorites for Trevor Lawrence before he signed, but he was kind of tank proof. And again, like he had his issues, but Bridgewater kind of stepped in. He was a steady hand and he's surrounded by more talent now on the Broncos roster than he was in Carolina has a defense that'll actually be able to complement his kind of no risk it style. So I I expect him to kind of step in and be, he'll be boring, but I think that the Broncos offense around him and then the defense is good enough that boring might be good enough. Yeah, I think you're right. And he is one of those players that he's not going to wow you with a lot of throws. He's not going to necessarily carry a team with his ability, but he's a very safe player. As you alluded to, he's a very solid and steady starter. And I think that's something that Denver could really use because the roller coaster ride that's been Drew Locke, I think it sounds like most fans probably ready to get off that ride at this point. And I just haven't seen enough from Drew Locke. I I know some people are still holding out hope that he could be uh, or develop, I should say, into a good or high level starter. I just haven't seen it. They're just he hasn't shown enough, in my opinion. And that leads to me wanting to take this just one step further here, Joe. The Broncos had the ninth overall pick. And with quarterbacks Justin Fields and Mac Jones still on the board, the Broncos selected cornerback Patrick Sertan. Now, a very good player, don't get me wrong, but do the Broncos believe that Drew Locke can still develop like into a high level quarterback, or did they just not believe in Fields and Jones. There's a lot to unpack with that. So first of all, the the Broncos from George Payton's first press conference, he made it clear that the Broncos, and, and, I, and I actually have it in front of me, uh, I think we all want the franchise quarterback. That's the number one goal is trying to draft and develop or acquire any way you can. And then he kind of goes on. And throughout the offseason, the Broncos ha- kind of dabbled in all these pursuits of quarterbacks they looked at Matthew Stafford they were interested reportedly in uh, Deshaun Watson way back in March even after the allegations of uh, sexual assault and sexual misconduct and then uh, there there was reports that they were interested in Andy Dalton they were sniffing around Sam Darnold at one point and then about a week before the draft I had heard from a kind of a trusted friend that the Broncos were cool on Justin Fields that they they liked Trey Lance but that they wouldn't consider Justin Fields which probably helped me just because I love fields. 
So when the Broncos did pass on him, at least knowing that it was probably going to happen beforehand really helped me. But I mean, it, it's kind of mind boggling just because looking ahead to the 2022 draft, it's nowhere near as strong, at least at this time, as last as this last draft was this time last year. And the Broncos, either they really believe that Drew Locke is going to be an outlier and, and, I, and I don't mean to hate on Drew Locke, but I've, I've looked at a lot of stats. I've dug into the numbers. I've dug into the tape. And he would have to be an outlier. Like, basically for... And, and there's a big chunk of Broncos country that hopes he is. But what you're hoping for is that COVID was so so disruptive to his development that he can kind of step forward and be that guy. But if that doesn't happen, the Broncos are going to have Teddy Bridgewater starting and then his contract expires after the year and they're going to probably have to resign him. So the decision to pass on Justin Fields and Mac Jones is a pretty questionable one. And I, and I suspect it's going to be one that's kind of a, a hot debate in Broncos country for a long time to come. Yeah, I'm with you, Joe. I thought that was the most head-scratching pick of that first round. I just didn't understand it. When they were on the clock, I thought for sure it was going to be Fields. I wasn't aware of what you said, that they were uh, cool on Fields, as you said. I didn't know that, obviously, but it was shocking to me. I think Fields was arguably the second-best quarterback in this class, and for him to slide as far as he did was definitely shocking, and for the Broncos to not take a crack at him or Mac Jones, for that matter, was definitely really shocking. Because this is clearly a team that all of a sudden finds itself at the bottom of this division as far as quarterback play. And with Justin Herbert emerging as uh, looking like a young superstar, and we know about Mahomes and even Carr in Vegas, they're just really finding themselves here at the bottom. And we know how important this position is. You just can't win with a mediocre quarterback anymore. So I was definitely shocked at that. Even if you're not sky high on Fields or Jones, it just felt like, shouldn't you take a crack at it? Shouldn't you at least swing the bat again? Because like you said, with, with Teddy Bridge water it almost makes you wonder like he's gonna make you competitive enough that you're probably not gonna be in a great position to draft a great quarterback anyway and I'm with you the next year's class as of now doesn't look nearly as promising so it was pretty shocking I I was definitely wanting to get your take on that because I've been shocked since draft night I I really just didn't understand that move and to keep this train going just a step further here Joe reports have stated Aaron Rodgers we know he recently declined a contract extension from the pack There's rumors swirling that he wants to be traded and Denver being his preferred destination. Now, what can you tell us about these rumors and what percent chance do you think Aaron Rodgers plays for the Broncos in 2021? The Aaron Rodgers aspect of it is kind of the one thing that kept me from really kind of getting to the ledge during draft night because those started right on the first night of the draft. And I had another, a, a trusted source kind of reached out to me and told me along the lines of, the Broncos had, and again, this is his word, not mine. The Broncos had a deal in place, but the Packers kind of pulled out of it on draft night. And again, like realistically, they had to just because of the cap ramifications for trading Aaron Rodgers before June 1st was, it, it was catastrophic for the Packers cap situation. That said, I don't think they want to trade him. Obviously, like he's the reigning NFL MVP. He's a surefire Hall of Famer, one of the best quarterbacks ever, but and again, we you know we can only speculate on the actual issues at play because Aaron Rodgers and the Packers haven't kind of opened up about them, but clearly it's not money. And so what I've kind of held on to in this whole thing, and again, part of this is hope, just because like if the Broncos passed on Justin Fields and Mac Jones because they kind of believe that they're going to get Aaron Rodgers, that's one thing. But the idea kind of being that if Aaron Rodgers wants to kind of, and he will, he'll probably burn some bridges to do this, but if he sits out in camp, 
like missing OTAs, missing minicamp, that's one thing because, you know, we're far enough away from the season during that time that the Packers probably aren't that worried. They're kind of bothered by it probably, but they're not, you know, they're not missing games. But if Aaron Rodgers starts to miss training camp and then it kind of starts to bleed into the preseason and he starts to threaten sitting out the season, well, it creates a situation that, in my opinion, is untenable because if the Packers lose Aaron Rodgers, that's one thing. They'll have to move to Jordan Love. But if they lose Aaron Rodgers, but he's kind of hanging over the organization, basically anytime Jordan Love has a bad game, that's all anyone's going to want to talk about is, well, why isn't Aaron Rodgers here? And so it starts to become the situation that could potentially poison the locker room. It could kind of haunt Jordan Love's first year as a starter. So to me, if it comes down to how committed Rodgers is to not playing for the Packers. And if he's willing to sit, I think a trade has to happen. When he turned down that big extension recently, to me, that's a big red flag that there's a lot more smoke here than maybe we even realize. And I think it's starting to look more and more like he might just push his hand here and try to get his way out of Green Bay. And I think the Broncos would be an outstanding fit. I think with their young core receivers, which we'll get to here in a little bit, but I think it could be an outstanding fit for him. And obviously Broncos fans would quickly forget about draft night if a guy like Aaron Rodgers suited up for them. But it's such a fascinating story, and it's certainly one I'm sure we'll all be paying close attention to as we get closer to the season here. But, Joe, regardless of who's under center this year for the Broncos, I alluded to they have plenty of young weapons to throw to with Noah Fant and Cortland Sutton, K.J. Hamler, Tim Patrick, and Jerry Judy. Talk about this talented young group of pass catchers for the Broncos. I mean, I think they have the potential to be one of the best receiving cores in the league. And not only the best one of the best receiving cores, but one of the most complete receiving cores. Because you have Cortland Sutton again, and, and it's a lot of ifs and thens with some of these players, but like with Cortland Sutton coming at back off of injury, we've kind of forgotten how good he was in 2019. He's a prototypical X with his size. He's very explosive. He can win above the rim. And he made the Pro Bowl in 2019, catching passes from the corpse of Joe Flacco, Brandon Allen, who is completing less than half his passes, and then a rookie, Drew Locke. And if you give him either Teddy Bridgewater, who's a competent quarterback, or Aaron Rodgers this year, like his numbers are going to take a big jump. And then you look across from him, he has Jerry Judy. And Jerry Judy, yeah, he had drop issues last year, but he also had, and I want to say it was PFF gave him a 26% of the targets Jerry Judy had last year were considered uncatchable. And it's the highest rate in the league. So yes, he had drops, but he also had a quarterback situation that was one of the worst in football. And the fact is he can separate from, uh, from cornerbacks, like very, very few receivers can. And another year kind of learning how to time up with the offense is only going to make him better. And he's inside outside flexible. So he can play the Z receiver spot on the outside, or he can play in the slot, which gives the Broncos a lot of flexibility with what they're doing with the rest of the personnel on offense. So Noah Fan will almost definitely be on the field unless he's hurt. But when the Broncos want to go to 12 personnel, they can have Sutton and Judy on the outside and they'll have uh, Albert O kind of there to be another threat because, again, he got hurt last year. But when he was playing, he looked like another fan, which is a huge mismatch weapon who blocks better than he gets credit for. But if the Broncos go into 11 personnel, three receiver sets, they can either bring Tim Patrick on, who is another big bodied receiver who wins down the sideline and can kind of win contested catches. Or if they want to move Jerry Judy outside, they can bring KJ Hamler on and KJ Hamler. Yeah. He's undersized. He's five, nine, probably about 180 pounds, but he's so quick. He's a water bug. You, you can't keep up with him in man coverage. And so if he has a quarterback who can get the ball to him with room to run, he's a threat to score anywhere on the field. 
Yeah, it's such a talented group, and I think they're going to take a big step forward regardless of who's under center. And I'm with you. I'm starting to think more and more it's going to be Teddy Bridgewater because that stat is alarming. That The stat you just read about Drew Locke um, and throwing to Jerry Judy because Jerry Judy is one of the best route runners in the NFL already at this young age. He came in as such a polished prospect, and to be throwing the ball so inaccurately to a guy like that is kind of mind-blowing, and it really speaks to just how bad Drew Locke has been for the Broncos and I think Bridgewater is going to be a huge upgrade even though he's a very average quarterback it'll be such a huge upgrade from what they've had there so I think this offensive unit and these receivers are in for a big year this year and like I said take a big step forward and I think part of that is always going to come down to the offensive line and offensive tackle Garrett Bowles had a breakout season last year earning him a second team all pro selection but does he have enough around him for this to be one of the league's best offensive lines? Oh, I don't know if they're going to be one of the best. I do think Bowles is going to be one of the top 10 left tackles again. I do think Reisner, Reisner and Graham Glasgow, both the fact that the center situation last year was so bad really kind of masks how good they were. And not only were they good, but the Broncos running game concepts really rely on their ability to get out and lead pole. And both of them are quite good at it. Reisner's better than Glasgow, but they're both pretty good at it. So the big questions kind of hanging around the offensive line this year is Cushenberry, uh, who I liked coming out, but he was really bad as a rookie. And kind of the question is, is he going to be able to hold off rookie Quinn Miners, who came out of Wisconsin Whitewater? And then the right tackle situation, because Juwan James, so he came back from an opt-out after opting out of 2020. Then he got hurt. The Broncos cut him and then they tried to replace him. They've they've signed Bobby Massey and Cameron Fleming. And I did a film breakdown on them earlier this offseason. I kind of think that Cameron Fleming's the better better player in terms of he's a better run blocker and, he, and his physical profile is better. But he has issues in pass protection where he just freezes up against stunts. And the Broncos may very well go with Massey just because that isn't necessarily the same issue. But the problem with Massey is he's six foot six, but he he, he and he has long arms but he doesn't play like he has long arms. So what ends up happening is players can get into his frame and get underneath him. It messes up his leverage. And all of a sudden he's in the backfield getting pushed into the quarterback. So I think Mike Munchak has his work cut out for him. Once again, I'm, I'm hopeful that it's at least a solid offensive line, but the fact that they have two big question marks is concerning. Yeah. Now we talked about them drafting Patrick Sertan ninth overall. I had Patrick Sertan as my second ranked cornerback in this class. And that's exactly where he went after JC Horn. What have you seen or heard about Patrick Sertan? How good can he be year one? I think he can be a starting cornerback for sure. Uh, I expect him to push for playing time right away. I also think that his skill set opens up the Broncos defense in a way that Fangio hasn't had since 2018 with the Bears. Sertan is really good at the line of scrimmage and soft shoe technique. He's really good at press. Uh, He's really patient. And because of that, the Broncos will be able to have him go up against bigger corner or bigger receivers and kind of deny them looks. And and that's very valuable because what ends up happening is it's going to end up hopefully funneling looks to the safeties or Kyle Fuller or Bryce Callahan. And that only helps the defense. I think he could be really good year one. And I think down the road, he's going to end up being a very, very good corner, probably a pro bowler. Yeah, and he's such a polished prospect. He's a typical Alabama secondary player. These guys get coached up at such a high level from Nick Saban. They come in, and they usually have an instant impact at the next level. I think you're right. He's a guy that I think instantly comes in and plays at a high level for them. 
because he's such a good, intelligent, high football IQ type of player and a good athlete. I just expect good things from him. I think, you know, we talked about them passing on a quarterback, but he was a really good pick for them. But I want to talk about the rest of this draft. Now, what did you make of this draft class for Denver? Who else do you think could have an impact year one? I think if Teddy Bridgewater ends up starting at quarterback, there's a decent chance that Quinn Miners ends up starting at center. But I think it's going to be dependent on the quarterback battle just because if you're starting Drew Locke, you probably don't want a rookie center for a second year. Just because I think Locke's issues pre-snap it would make it hard for a rookie center to really really kind of stand out. Uh, the rest of the Broncos rookie class, I think Baron Browning is going to probably be a really good special teamer early. I think if all goes well, he could end up finding kind of a niche role as like a passing down, kind of mixing in some looks as like a pass rusher, maybe like kind of like an X factor. You just don't know what he's going to do. Uh, and then I think both Caden Stearns and Jamar Johnson will both be probably special teamers more than anything. But I, I, I'm curious to see kind of how if they see time on defense just because uh, Kareem Jackson's contract runs out after this season. He's 33 years old. The Broncos don't plan to bring him back. So one of those safeties is probably going to be the heir apparent. Yeah, and that makes sense because you're going to want to see what you've got in this young kid, in the young kids. And if Kareem Jackson is moving on, like you said, you're probably going to want to get him out there and, and see what he has as far as moving forward. So who are some breakout candidates for Denver this year? Draymond Jones is the big one. Draymond Jones plays along the interior defensive line. Uh, last year, I want to see at six and a half sacks. I'm not looking at the number. I mean, good pass rusher. And the other thing is he did that despite the fact that with Von Miller down, Teams were in that and like Bradley Chubb was in and out of the lineup. Shelby Harris got hurt at times. So Draymond Jones is one of the few consistent pieces on defense last year. And he he's a very good pass rusher. He's good at kind of weaseling his way through holes in pass pro. And he has a lot of moves. He's a set like he has a lot of moves in his pass rush repertoire. And I think that's one of those things that he can build off of. And if both Bradley Chubb and Von Miller are back and healthy, teams aren't going to be able to devote a lot of attention to him, which means he's going to be able to take advantage of one-on-one -on -one guard against guards on offense. I think Jerry Judy, and I don't think that's necessarily like a big surprise, but I think Jerry Judy's going to push for a pro bowl. I'd be surprised if he and Noah Fant don't unless the quarterback situation is just a dumpster fire. Yeah. I think that's a fair assessment for sure. Now Vic Fangio's third season as head coach of the Broncos. To me, it feels like a pivotal season. What will Denver need to accomplish to keep his seat from catching fire? I think if he doesn't make the playoffs, he's out. And I don't say that as somebody who's necessarily rooting for him to get fired. The Broncos hired a new GM. The Broncos didn't necessarily do, like, they didn't make moves like they were trying to give him more time. They made moves to try and give him a year to, to push for the playoffs. Patrick Sertan should be able to play right away. Javante Williams as a running back is an instant pick. Running backs are, are able to step in and immediately contribute. And then the Broncos went out and got a, a veteran quarterback rather than take a rookie. It's kind of like this is a put up or shut up year for him. Yeah, I think that's a great point that you made about the quarterback, because I think if they were to draft a rookie and they had a bad season, a five, six win season, I think a lot of fans might look at it and be like, well, you know, he's developing a young guy and let's give him some more time. But I think you're right with a veteran quarterback in there. I think it does kind of push the issue a little bit. And I think that's definitely an interesting take. But who are some under the radar, maybe some late round picks or even undrafted free agent type of players that we should pay attention to? So I think Mike Boone, uh, obviously not an undrafted player, but Mike Boone, we talked about, I think he could surprise depending on what happens with like if Melvin Gordon gets hurt, he's going to end up being viable in fantasy just as a number two. In terms of the secondary, Michael Ojemudie might, 
might surprise just as like a depth guy. The Broncos are working him as a boundary corner and nickel dime. So I would assume he's going to basically be like kind of the utility guy behind all the big names. Uh, in as far as the linebacker core go, I know Alexander Johnson and Josie Jewell almost definitely be the starters, but Justin Cernod might be somebody to keep an eye on as well. He's a fifth round rookie from last year uh, who got hurt. I want to say five practices in, but the word was the Broncos coaching staff was quite high on him. And back then the Broncos, there was some talk that he was the one kind of getting, getting subbed in on nickel downs for Josie Jewell. Um, I don't know necessarily if that's going to happen now, just because Jewell did play so well. But I wouldn't be surprised if Sternod is the third linebacker coming off the bench, and they do try and get him some looks on passing downs. So the Broncos' run defense was one of the best through the first five games last season, but they really faded down the stretch, and they finished as one of the league's worst. What have they done this offseason to improve versus the run? The big thing was just getting everybody back from injuries. Mike Purcell was the big one, and, and I do think... In some ways, Mike Purcell's importance is a little overstated just because he is a role player. Um, but he's the Broncos starting nose tackle. He will probably be the third guy in the rotation on nickel personnel. And he's a he's a really good run defender. He's quicker than he gets credit for, which gives issue gives issues to teams that run a lot of zone just because he can cross the center's face and that causes problems for you know for the running game. Um I also think he's stout at the point of attack. But the Broncos, one addition they did make is they signed uh, Shamar Steven. And again, not a big name by any means, but he was a starting tackle for the Vikings last year. Plays a lot of the same stuff that Purcell does, Steven does. He's a one technique and he'll play some zero. So he's a nose tackle who will play some nickel front. Good run defender. He's a little bit more athletic than Purcell is, but a lot of the same stuff. He's good at the point of attack. He has good hands. So that'll probably help. And then I just think the defensive line staying healthier, especially getting Vaughn back. Vaughn Miller, we, we talk about him as a pass rusher, but he's a really, really good run defender as well. And what ends up happening if Chubb and Vaughn Miller are healthy, they can kind of run a funnel and teams aren't going to be able to run wide on them quite as often, which ends up making it easier for Jewel and Johnson, who they're good run defenders, but they're not necessarily great in pursuit just because they are athletically limited. They're pro they're closer to they're solid athletes. They're not great athletes. But if you have Von Miller and Chubb working everything back inside, they'll be able to thrive. Yeah, I also think you're right about Von Miller. I think he gets a little bit underrated as an all-around player because he is very good against the run. I think we just look at the sack numbers and how elite of a pass rusher he's been over the years, but he is a very complete player, certainly. Now, you touched on some of these guys, but the starting defensive line of Shelby Harris, Mike Purcell, and Draymond Jones, it's a very solid group. But do the Broncos have enough depth after only drafting one defensive lineman this year? It's kind of a big question, uh, just because I like Purcell and I like uh, McTelvin Ajim was a third round pick last year who did not play very much even after all the injuries. I want to say he played about 125 snaps, which is a little bit of a red flag just because as a third rounder, you'd kind of hope he played more. The hope is that he kind of took to coaching this offseason. He'll come in ready to go. A lot of talent. He's a he's a little bit bigger than Draymond Jones, but he has a similar athletic profile. Has to be better against the run, and I think that's what kept him off the field last year. And then Deshaun Williams, and again, he was he's not somebody that most people know their name, but he was a decent pass rusher last year, and he kind of he was like one of the few defensive linemen who stayed healthy. I like him, and then Steven. kind of like those three stand out. They'll be good. I think they'll be not the best group of backups in the league, but they'll they'll be okay. Um, as long as Jewel and Johnson stay healthy. I think if either of the starting linebackers get hurt, the issues on the defensive line might start to look a lot bigger. 
So this question might be a little bit tough for Denver in particular. I've been asking every guest we've had here, and with the quarterback situation for the Broncos, it makes it a little more difficult to probably answer this because we've got such a wide range like we've talked about where you could possibly have Locke starting, Teddy Bridgewater, or possibly even Aaron Rodgers. So it's a wide range of quarterback play that we could possibly see for the Broncos. But with that being said, what is the floor and what is the ceiling for the Denver Broncos in 2021? So I think the floor is something similar to last year. Uh, and that's, I don't think it's very likely, but I think if the quarterback play, like let's say Bridgewater doesn't play until late or he gets hurt. And then Drew Locke didn't really improve off of last year. The Broncos offense is going to have to rely on their running game and the receivers aren't going to be able to thrive. So I, I would say at that point, they will be like a five ish win team. And that that's with, you know, injuries happening as well. I think the ceiling is probably a Super Bowl win. And that's Aaron Rodgers is obviously a big part of it. I think if the Broncos trade for Aaron Rodgers, they're going to be one of the two or three best teams in the AFC. But even with if, if they don't trade for Aaron Rodgers, but kind of everything else goes their way. And again, you know, that's very optimistic. But the, the young players kind of take a step forward. Injuries don't really hollow out the defense too much. The Broncos should have one of the best defenses in football. And then if Teddy Bridgewater can kind of play similar to what he did last year with more help around him, I think he could look like probably the 16th-ish best quarterback in football, and that could be good enough to chase a Super Bowl. I don't think they're by any means the favorite, but I think they could be a playoff team and could sneak up on people. Yeah, I think that's a fair and honest answer, and I think I'm with you because this team definitely has a lot of strengths. Like you said, the defense is going to be really good. I, I like the running back group that we talked about. I love their offensive weapons on the perimeter and at tight end, so there's a lot to like with this group. I think, like I said, though, the quarterback position is just such a wild card for them, but you're right. If Teddy Bridgewater can kind of be a steadying force and just kind of play point guard out there and distribute the ball and not turn it over too much... Like like he usually is, I think this is a team that could surprise some people and and maybe be a playoff team that could possibly even make some noise if the ball bounces their way. But it's been an absolute blast breaking it down with you. Once again, we've been joined by Joe Rouse, who covers the Denver Broncos for SB Nation's MileHighReport.com, and he's the co-host of the Cover 2 Broncos podcast. Great stuff, Joe. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me. All right, that's going to do it for today's episode. Hope you enjoyed it, PGF Nation. But like I said earlier, we have a lot of team preview episodes coming up with a lot of great guests. So be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.